Well, it's lovely to be here. Thanks for the, uh, the warm welcome. And it's always so inspiring to come and be part of you and see, you know, church as we always wanted it to be, to be honest with you, and, and aspire to in many places. Um, and it's great to be able to talk about one of your, you know, the five eyes. And I was listening to a, a few of the, um, the podcasts of the previous talks, and um, I noticed that at the, at the beginning, often people would say, well, I googled this, and I came up with a definition of what it is, and this is what this means. So I, I, I googled intimacy, <laughs> and I discovered quite a few things, actually. Uh, first thing, be really careful if you uh, search for intimacy on the internet. Um, and I actually came up with some good advice, actually. Um, it was a, it, I came up, found this website which told me what the five, step, five stages of intimacy are. And I want to share them with you today. Number one is infatuation, apparently. And um, during the infatuation stage of intimacy, I will be thinking things like, OMG, she's gorgeous. Uh, and I want to marry you. So that's the first stage of intimacy. But there's, there, are, there are other stages to come. You see, the second stage they call landing. And during the landing stage, I will look forward to thinking things like, um, OMG, his jokes are so lame, and I've made a mistake. <laughs> Third stage is called burying. It's not what you want to do with your partner during the third phase of intimacy. But what it says is, you're buried in all the things that you're trying to do, and you're basically trying to forget about them. And the fourth stage is, is resurfacing, and then I'm going to be thinking, OMG, I was right in the first place. They are gorgeous. What has this got to do with God? <laughs> Intimacy. When expressed like that, I'll tell you the fifth stage in a minute because it's quite interesting. Intimacy, when expressed like that, can be really confusing. And, and intimate relationships in our society and in our, in our culture can be confusing. And, and the confusion over intimacy has meant that people have taken and twisted and misunderstood what it means to be intimate. And that can lead to exploitation, control, and all kinds of problems in our society. And so understanding what intimacy is, is actually really important amongst ourselves, in, in our, in our uh, relationships, but also with our relationship with God. In Oasis Belgium, we, uh, we work a lot of the time with uh, Thai women who have uh, been brought in to the country. A man has, has gone out, often to the sex bars uh, in, in Bangkok or, or, or in Chiang Mai, and they've told a woman, I, I love you, and you marry me, and I will you come back to my country, to Belgium, and we'll have a great, intimate relationship. But actually, what he really wants is sex. And he wants it on his terms, 
And he wants to almost buy it as a product. And also, what he wants is somebody to cook him Thai food, just like he gets in the restaurants. And so his understanding of intimacy has been twisted to mean something which will just give me pleasure. I can consume intimacy. I can take it for myself. And very often we'll deal with cases where a woman gets beaten up by her partner because she hasn't cooked a good meal. This is where we get to if we don't understand what real intimacy is. In the passage that we read, which is one of the most beautiful passages in the New Testament, it talks about how Jesus expresses intimacy. It says the word became became flesh and walked among us, became one of us, revealed himself to us. And intimacy is actually when we are in a relationship and reveal ourselves to the other person in honesty, showing the real self in expectation that that will be the same for them. They will show us who they really are, not hide it, not pretend they're somebody else, not offer us something that we can consume, but that meeting of vulnerability and honesty in our relationships. And so when God decided to show intimacy, to create relationship with us, he came and was born and walked among us and was vulnerable and served. And that is how God showed us what intimacy really is. Jesus revealed himself to us. He's not a God who understands far away. He's always close. God with us. I enjoy a good sing. I'm not sure people around me enjoy singing uh, when I'm here, but I enjoy singing. But I wonder and I worry sometimes if in the church we've forgotten the basic premise of God's intimacy with us, which is born out of service, which is born out of action, which is born out of vulnerability. And so, if I come and sing these beautiful songs on a Sunday, but I am not living in faithfulness to Jesus, if I am not expressing my vulnerability to those around me by service during the week, what does it mean? If in my uh, marriage relationship, I'm not acting in a way which is honoring to my wife, if I'm sleeping around, if I'm angry in the morning, if, if, if I'm not paying attention to her, And then I think, well, what I actually want on a Friday night is a bit of intimacy. I know what I'll do. I'll stick on Ed Sheeran, okay? I'll start with perfect, and that'll soften her up a bit, and then it's the shape of you, and we'll be away. (laughs) Strangely, it doesn't work. Strangely, the way I act in service 
and attentiveness and attention and just the small things of service, picking up after me, doing the washing up. I hope my wife doesn't listen to this podcast. (laughs) These are the things of intimacy and they are crowned when we listen to these songs or, or, or worship in that way. They are crowned when we get together and we pray, but our prayers are lived out and worked out in service and in love every day of our lives. That is the foundation, as was demonstrated to us by Jesus. In our work, we get a lot of opportunity to work this out. One... Uh, woman that we've been, a Thai woman who we've been helping for, for many years now. When, when we first met her, she was in a little uh, house brothel, just south of Brussels. And uh, I remember we went in there, and she, um, her two boys were in the living room, and she was upstairs with a, with a client, client, you know, abuser, and that was her life. And she came down and the boys were on, were on the uh, PlayStation trying to ignore everything that was going on around them. And when she came down, it became completely obvious that the exploitation that, that she had experienced had really broken her and she'd experienced an almost complete mental breakdown not only from the abuse that was, that was happening in the, in, in, the, um, in the brothel, but also because of the, you know, that she would be filmed and that would be put out as, as pornography. And, and so the shame and the exposure that she was suffering was extreme. Now, this is the reality of, of, of pornography, is the women suffering who, who are exploited and uh, exploited through that medium. And it's out there. It never goes away. And she had an extreme uh, psychosis. She had uh, actually a religious psychosis. So, you know, when she uh, heard that we were a, were a Christ-centered organization, she, she would say, oh, yeah, I know Jesus. I had an appointment with him last week, um, and I'm going to meet Mohammed now. And she, her, her mental state was completely broken. And eventually she was, uh, she was sent by court order to, uh, to psychiatric hospital. And we stayed alongside her through all of this, as she dealt with her shame, as she used to spend hours in the, in the shower trying to just clean herself and wash herself. And years she, was, she, she has been in a psychiatric hospital. Uh, often, for, for the first few years, she was in a psychiatric hospital in the Dutch-speaking part of our country, and she couldn't understand anything that was going on. And so she was very disorientated and lost. And so the visits from the, from the Oasis team were crucial for her to, to actually just keep going, to s- keep from uh, committing suicide. And eventually now she's been transferred to a hospital not far from the Oasis office in Brussels. It's a French-speaking area. She can speak the language. But what we do is it's wonderful. We just love her. She is part of our team. She is not somebody who we do a service 
to, she is part of us. And we go there, uh, and what we do is we get ladies on the, Thai ladies from our team to cook for her. And then everybody else in the hospital wants to be part of our group because we're going to eat Thai. And we sit and we talk and we laugh and we eat together and we are community together. And she's starting to heal. And it's taken years and it will take years for her to fully recover. Teek, our wonderful Thai leader of this project, said, you know, it's a massive breakthrough last week. She told a joke. She'd managed to recapture something of her sense of humor. And you might say, well, Phil, this is all a beautiful uh, story about social work. And that's a lovely thing that you do social work. Uh, and we do a lot of that around here. What has it got to do with intimacy with God? And I'd like to say to you that I think these are the situations of long-term patient service, care and community, where we discover who God is, where we discover our closeness to God because God inhabits those situations and loves our community. And we discover God there. We discover him amongst us or we discover her amongst us, depending on how you want to express that. You can do all of the things that I've just described without any kind of understanding or, of God or, or desire to follow him. And, and I would argue that you are, you are delighting the heart of God even if you do that. And so what we have to do as we serve is reflect, as we have done today, on the love of God. Reflect on God's goodness and pray. And I don't mean come together in a little room and say some words and go away again, as Steve said earlier. Because as you walk that walk together, your hearts are crying out. You don't have the answers. And I turn daily to God, not because it's part of a beautiful self-spiritual formation, but because I don't know what to do next. And I think in that place of doubt, uncertainty, but willingness to be vulnerable, we find intimacy with God. And so when we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he cries out, please God, I don't know what to do. This is too much. That is a picture of the intimacy within God himself. We can sing the songs, we can learn the words, we can pray the prayers. And I've tried a thousand ways of praying, you know, from counting bees to saying set prayers to speaking in or everything. I, I'm not good at praying. I don't know how to get through without crying out to God. And when I do it in the midst of service, I find him. I find a God who is patient, just as we've had to be with this lady, who is hopeful when all hope seems to be gone. When she was 
on the edge of suicide, not knowing what, to ha what was going to happen next when her boys were taken into, into social services care. We had to keep hoping because we have a God of hope. And that's the nine habits, isn't it? And one of them is hope. Stay hopeful. And we want justice. We don't want to just care for this lady. We want to stop them doing this to people. We want a society which reflects the nine habits, the goodness of God, the fruits of the Spirit. And so in, out of our intimacy and in our intimacy with God, we cry out for justice. We want to see healed relationships and communities. And so this is how we find our intimacy with God. We act we make relationship. We are community. We don't give up. We cry out for justice and inclusion. And as we do, we cry out to God. And he meets us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Reflect, pray, read scripture in the light of all of this, and keep acting. In the book of Psalms, there's a whole section of psalms, uh, 120 to 134, which talk, they're called the Psalms of Ascent. And they are psalms where, where, where the Jews are going up to the temple and they are, they are singing and they, they're saying, I can't wait to get back into God's temple. I can't wait to meet with God. Because God was in one place for them. That's how they met him. But God isn't in one place. God's in your house. God's down the pub. God's in the street. God's in the coffee shop. And he inhabits the relationships that we make as we seek for justice and we seek for hope. Many years ago, um, can I tell one more story? Um, many years ago, I, uh, I, 25 years I've worked for Oasis, uh, and many years ago, <laughs> um, I was, I was helping to start a church um, in, in New Cross, in South London, and um, we had a lady in the church who was from Sierra Leone, and she was uh, living in a, a big tower block, right, well, she was squatting in a, in, a, in a flat there because somebody had been thrown out of it and they hadn't noticed that she crept in afterwards. So she was living kind of on the day-to-day -day there, and eventually they caught up with her, and they threw her out with a small premature baby uh, called uh, Yadalio. She was called Tete. And uh, he, he f was finding it difficult to survive, and she just had nowhere to go. So, so what we did is we kind of gave her... Um, I was, was working um, in, in the church at the bottom of that um, tower block... And it had what, what Baptists call the manse, see, which is the place that you're given to live in. So what we do is say, you live there. You come in and live, and you take that one, and I'll sleep on, on people's sofas. And so we got a whole load of people from, from Spurgeon's Baptist College to come and move her furniture and move all her stuff. She didn't have much, but we moved her in, and we, we put her in this, in this flat, 
And all these kind of Bible scholars and students who were going to become into the Baptist ministry, who I usually saw in a very formal setting, learning about all the scripture and how Isaiah's structure meant that Deuteronomy spoke to that. Suddenly, we were all together in a tower block that smelt of we, helping somebody who was about to be on the street, which would kill her baby, giving her a home. And suddenly, we met with God. Thousands of hours in the lecture hall could never take us there. I'm not knocking scholarship. But unless our understanding of Scripture takes place in the context of justice and sacrifice and service, we will learn nothing. We won't understand it at all. And worse than that, we'll communicate that lack of understanding to generation after generation as the church empties. And yet, on that cold November day, when we carried furniture together, we understood more than we'd ever understood before. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 25, says, whatever you do, for those who are homeless, for those who are without hope, for those who are sick, for those who are lost, you do it for me. It's not a notion. It's not something which is abstract. As Steve said, Jesus didn't think in the abstract. It was concrete. Here I am, he says. Look at me. I haven't got anywhere to live. I'm in prison. You want to be intimate with God? That's where he is. Amen.